What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Eddie, with Flex Machine Tools, and welcome to this episode of Flex and Friends, our video cast and podcast series where I get to sit down with, chat with, hang out with, and pick the brain of the industry's loudest, proudest, best, brightest, most passionate, and profound thought leaders, and we are talking about everything, you guessed it, manufacturing. So today, we have a real OG in the game, a real friend of Flex, so without further ado, Help me in bringing in my man, Dan Davis. Here we go. Dan, the man is in the chat. Hey, man, thank you so much for joining us today. It's absolutely official. First and foremost, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you doing today? Hey, it, it is well with my soul, and it is a good day to talk about manufacturing. So, hey, we've got you here with us today, man. We've got a lot to cover, a lot of ground. But, uh, you know, with this obviously diving into the manufacturing world, I want to take a step back because really what's just as amazing as, as the industry are the people in the industry. And I think you're no exception to that specific statement. So let's get to know you a little more on the personal and professional side. So who is Dan? Yeah. So uh, I've been covering manufacturing for close to 30 years now. So you wow. say original gangster early on. I think that's a euphemism for old. So uh, <laughs> 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 it, it catches up with you. So uh, I started covering uh, manufacturing when I moved up to the Chicagoland area back in 92. I had uh, just finished a degree in uh, journalism down at Louisiana State University. Met a Midwesterner down there. She's moving back. I didn't have anything else besides a $13,000 a year uh, sports editor job. Uh, I don't know whether that was the state of the newspaper industry down there or just a reflection of people don't read. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I was looking for something a little bit better. So I ended up going to the Midwest. Landed a job with a magazine called Appliance Magazine. They actually covered the appliance manufacturing industry. And from there, jumped to uh, trade journals that covered uh, enterprise software for the manufacturing community, uh, uh, industrial paint and powder systems for manufacturers, which actually is probably the smallest publication I worked on, but really kind of interesting as it was at the same time that powder coating was taken off in uh, North America as a uh, kind of a competing uh, coating technology to traditional paint, wet paint mm -hmm. technology. And from there, I jumped to, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, I lost, uh, yeah, yeah, I, went, I, I started covering, uh, uh, once again, enterprise software, but from the standpoint of uh, custom, uh, custom marketing, if you will. It's kind of what mm -hmm. the kids call native advertising. Although back then, no one was heavily using the internet. And from there, I jumped to the FMA, Fabricators Manufacturers Association, in 93. I've been here ever since covering the metal fabrication industry. So it's a long and winding road and, frankly, uh, uh, full of uh, different opportunities, as you can see, and kind of a reflection of uh, the industry itself. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, you know, the different avenues and ways people can make a living and career in this space. Oh, for sure. Plenty of opportunity that that is more apparent now than it ever has been, some would say. And then so with that, you obviously told us a little bit about yourself in a professional world. What, what, what about you personally? Like, what is Dan passionate about that? That's what I need to know. What are you passionate about, man? You know, it's kind of it's kind of funny. It, it, it's I, I think my passion is just learning about stuff. I know a lot of things. I know a little about a lot of things. Gotcha. 
but not a lot about a few things. <laughs> so in a, in a way, I, you know, I, uh, you know, if, if it came down to like personal hobbies, you know, I'm probably hanging around, uh, working out in the yard, uh, grilling, you know, I, I wouldn't come competitive barbecue because I refused to upgrade past my Weber, but, you know, I enjoy good smoked meats. Uh, I don't mind. I like hanging out with, uh, uh, friends, you know, it might be just a sporting event. It might be uh, a local tavern. It's I'm a relatively low key individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, you know, when it comes to passion, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy this job is just learning about what other people do. Yeah, I've been in hour-long conversations with, with uh, people that work for the post office. It, I, I find it fascinating. I, it, it's usually that type of uh, uh, common experience. I like learning about other people. I, one of my favorite places in the world is the grocery store. I don't know why. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy food i enjoy cooking and and seeing uh the dynamics in uh retail trends uh supply chain issues that we're all living through it you know i i find myself in the middle of uh things that that make a, a capitalist economy work and i just find that uh really interesting and, and i think kind of go back to metal fabricating once you're in this industry you become much more aware of what's around you how things are made uh who, who actually made those things. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think uh, the search for knowledge, I think that's what the X-Files are all about, right? The truth is out there. We're covering it all. Willingness, it's a willingness to, to learn from other people while at the same time uh, picking up on those areas that I, I might want to learn a little bit more about. So, uh, you know, as it stands now, probably beer, football, and food. <laughs> no we, we, we are covering bases today we've talked already about manufacturing publications we've talked about what is it smoking meat you know we're going to the x-files we are only six and a half minutes in folks yeah. we are in for a ride so quick question <laughs> before we transition um i love smoked meat myself for any of the other barbecue enthusiasts out there big shout out what type of chips are you using you, i gotta know so you know uh i uh i've attempted one brisket in my life Okay. And just didn't have the patience for it, didn't have the heat up enough, didn't, uh, it just didn't turn out really well. So I, since then, it's, it's primarily been turkey, mm -hmm. uh, pork butt, and chicken. And I typically use some combination of uh, uh, hickory fruit, uh, mostly apple, although I found some cherry chips. Uh, you know, you, my local ace, where I probably buy most of this stuff, has definitely gotten more aggressive in trying to offer uh different offerings so i actually have a con that i've tried it a couple times the one thing i like i said i don't i'm not expert but uh i know that you're, you you don't want to go too aggressive with the hickory so i try to balance it with something uh, uh some of those fruits and it actually does the job pretty well uh, no, know your limits i actually I, if i'm an expert in anything it's that i know my limits he knows his limits so i don't want to digress too much what, so, about so what do you, you know? what do you do you you uh, do you do the smoking? Apple, man, apple is what I use, straight up. Apple, 
It, it has not let me down, whether it's been, you know, with the pork butt doing pulled meat, whether it's doing anything, this wings, the general dogs. I mean, any meat that I've smoked, it, it, it's been the move, if you will, and let the sauce stand at the table. So, but you get me started on talking barbecue and smoking meat. We're going to have yeah, ourselves an hour long well, conversation. Be a long road. Exactly. But hey, we've got plenty more kind of where that came from. So, and then also for anybody watching live, we're going to be we're live right now on Facebook, on LinkedIn, as well as YouTube. Hop in that comment section, ask us a question, pull up any type of comment. We will pull that bad boy up on screen and answer it and address it in real time. Even if it's just telling us where you're from or giving us a huge thumbs up, we'd appreciate it. But the man of the hour is favorite smoked meat. Yes, exactly. Favorite smoke meat. Let's let's see in the <laughs> chat section. So uh, you told us a little bit kind of how you got into manufacturing. Obviously, you know, meeting the girl, and as you know, every other man you know, gets married to a woman that they take us off into the sunset. Correct. But <laughs> are there any other parts yeah. of your story that got you into manufacturing, man? Yeah, you know uh, that that first job uh, covering appliance manufacturing got me on the road to uh, a career covering different aspects of it. So. In a way, even with that first job I had, metal fabricating was a part of it. So as we, as I cover the appliance industry, you know, you're talking about uh, the big thing is uh, huge assembly lines where these uh, refrigerators, uh, uh, freezers, ranges, uh, AC units, HVAC, you know, th these are uh, huge industries. In, a, in the U.S., in, in, in some that have kind of reflected that dan the dynamic nature of manufacturing over the last uh, 20, 30 years with uh, stuff being offshore, consolidation amongst the major brands. I mean, really, in the U.S., you're talking uh, uh, U.S.-owned Whirlpool. Uh, I think uh, Frigidaire is now uh, owned by Europeans. Uh, GE's Chinese-owned. Uh, you've had... You know, since then, Europeans set up shop in, in North America. The Koreans, uh, I'm not sure they have manufacturing yet in North America, but you know, their products are all, you know, very much evident in a lot of uh, retail settings. So uh, just go back to it. Started covering it there and end up uh, covering different aspects of it since then, whether it was uh, uh, software, finishing, and then back to uh, metal fabricating. It, it's... Um, it's something that I connect with. My dad was a blue collar guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the famous story was he, he went to southeastern Louisiana, took the same math class four times and flunked four times. Uh, <laughs> so it wasn't for lack of trying. Uh, so he became a pipe fitter in the uh, Louisiana petrochemical uh, industry and uh, pieced together a living and, you know, uh, raised four, uh, two kids with the help of uh, my mom, a school teacher. And, you know, I think. A lot of people can identify with that. So to be able to kind of still remain attached to uh, the world where people uh, aren't afraid to get dirt on their, you know, on their hands, uh, work overtime, you know, I feel uh, uh, honestly a privilege in doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I tend to enjoy those people's company uh, uh, a lot. You know, they they, uh, they know what a hard day is. Uh, a hard day's work is, and they appreciate it. And oftentimes, when you talk to them, they appreciate it. Uh, the people that actually help them uh, along the way. It's uh, mm -hmm. whether that's more small businesses, family-owned companies, manufacturing in general. I'm not so sure. I just kind of like uh, the people uh, that make up the industry. 
Absolutely. And that's, and so do I. And that's why I love helping tell their stories or helping them tell their stories, I should say. And so speaking of story, we've got ourselves off to a great start, which leads us to obviously where you were, you know, how you got to where you are now. And we are now you're working obviously with FMA. You've been there yeah, since what is early 90s. So for anybody who lives under a rock potentially, or maybe is as familiar, what is FMA and what do you do for manufacturing? <laughs> I, mean, I guarantee you there are people in this industry that don't know. So uh, FMA is the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association. It's been around since 1970. Sort out is the Fabricating Machinery Association. Mm. So back in the day, uh, some machine tool companies and distributors got together and figured, hey, let's pool our resources and offer up some educational events in uh, a belief that it's going to be a little bit more affordable and actually better for the industry if we're able to kind of offer uh, educational events as a whole, instead of forcing people to kind of uh, do onesie twosie, you know, it, it's right there for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that thought process, uh, the Fabricator publication was launched in uh, January, February, 1971, uh, 53, how many years? Is it 50? Yeah, so it'd be 53 years that's been published uh, next wow. year, I think. Uh, it, it's uh, it's been around covering metal fabricating technology and uh, evolving to cover the industry itself. So if you open up the pages of the fabricator, you'll uh, see profiles of uh, shops, uh, businesses, case studies of people putting technology to work, um, uh, some how-to pieces uh, related to not only technology but also business processes. Uh, and profiles, uh, fun stuff, sometimes metal art, uh, or interesting fabricating uh, product line launches, things like that. Uh, FMA is now not only a publisher of magazines, uh, it offers an extensive lineup of educational offerings, uh, conferences, and uh, uh, cre uh, credential uh, opportunities. Uh, I have it written down here. I think uh, we've got about 1,500 company and individual members, and of that group, we have about 2,500 people all together. And like I said, I think we're hoping to attract upwards of 600 plus people for our conferences and workshops and uh, pass out close to 90 uh, certificates, mostly related to our press break comp, our, uh, courses for 2022. Um, so we have... Uh, uh, publications, we have membership, we have our uh, foundation, Nuts, Bolts, and Figma Jigs, which raises scholarship money for people attending uh, welding schools, as well as attending uh, uh, four-year universities for engineering. And probably the one thing most people do know is FabTech. So uh, yep. the show, we're, we're one of the uh, founding associations, uh, Society of Manufacturing Engineers being the other one. And we have some... Uh, partners involved with the trade show, American Welding Society, Precision Metal Forming Association, and the Chemical Coders Association International. So uh, that's pretty much the whole group. We're based out of Rock, uh, sorry, geez, we're based out of Rockford, Illinois for 40 plus years. We're now in Elgin, Illinois. <laughs> we moved here in 2018 and uh, just uh, southeast of uh, Rockford. We have about 75 people in the organization. So that's about 
that's about all there is I know about this organization. Yeah, I'd say uh, that's a little bit of something for sure, man. And thanks for giving us kind of the deep dive because, <laughs> of, sure. of, of course, super familiar. You know, and, and it's nice, and a lot of people tie that to Fabtech, but it's it's good to know some of the human beings behind that, and that there's so much depth there specifically. And I know one thing that you and I talked uh, about, you know, in our earlier conversations, and just multiple times since we've known each other, is this, your your passion for metal fabrication. And so, obviously, it's something you know a decent amount about. So let's kind of jump right into to the concept of. Some people, one, they don't understand as much of what it means or really how important it is right. to the U.S. economy in all transparency. So in right. Dan's opinion, let's talk about its magnitude and its importance uh, as much as you feel. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, it's one of those situations where I think people take for granted how uh, things are made, uh, how uh, you know, just life around them. How does that come to be? Uh, you know, and from a you know metal fabricator standpoint, I was having a discussion with uh, someone earlier in the week, and we were talking about you know where the economy might be headed, and you know one of the exciting things about metal fabricating is with major change comes major opportunity, and fabricators can make that opportunity. Uh, the two cases that jump out at me are discussions about electric vehicles, mm. and uh, you know whereas. There's going to be a lot of uh, changes occurring in the auto industry as those electric vehicles uh, have less move, you know, they have less metal parts, uh, but they do have metal parts. And one of the more interesting things will be the uh, evolution of how that battery is maintained in the vehicle. Now you're talking a lot, uh, a lot more roll form parts, uh, perhaps two being used. So uh, it, it's just kind of interesting the infrastructure being developed around that charging stations. Uh, you know, some of the most fun things uh, I enjoy are, I, we've, we ran a, st a story uh, more than a couple years ago, but it was on a company that built outdoor uh, uh, coverings for like uh, fast food order stations. And, you know, that jumps to my head because those are similar to like what's going to be needed for these charging stations. So, uh, yep. you know, fabricators make future. And just from the standpoint of like pure, you know, raw numbers, you know, if you look at North American industrial classification system, which is something the government uses to kind of organize manufacturing statistics uh, for those that uh, rely on that type of information gathering. So before the pandemic, February 2020, we were looking at 1.469 million people involved in the metal fabricating sector, fabricated metal products, it's called. Now, People that may do fabricating work in machine shop and identify themselves as a machine shop in this next code, that's not even counted. In this. So this is strictly businesses that work in uh, fabricated metal products and more than likely probably do a wide volume of stuff, not necessarily like uh, uh, straight product lines, although I'm sure that's in there as well. So taking that same number, 1.469 million, after the pandemic, May, 2020, May 2022, preliminary figures, we're looking at 1.436 million, so it's not quite a, quite back to the number it was before, but we're kind of working there. And if you're talking, uh, you know, wild numbers, you're almost looking at about 350 billion dollars. That was like a Dun and Bradstreet number from a couple of years ago. But once again, that's just that one sector. You know, our magazine, we go to shipbuilders, we go to uh, people that work on wrought iron fences. You know, that's how we define our manufacturing fabricating world. And I'm just sharing with you one sector of that. So it, it, it's a it's a uh, it's a large industry with a lot of employees, a lot of companies. 
but very different from each other. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one job shop uh, may be totally different from the job shop down the street based on the customers that they serve. Uh, case in point, uh, I just recently did a feature on HUI out of Keele, Wisconsin. Uh, job shop um, for a majority of their business, but about 30, 30, 35% of the business is involved in metal carts. They had the opportunity to make a cart for a company and it opened the door to, uh, you know, uh, other, uh, other opportunities. So, you know, that now represents a huge chunk of their business. And it's all about sometimes knowing the right person, right place, right time. Uh, it, it's, it's, no two stories are the same in this industry. And that, from that standpoint, I, I think it's, uh, it's always fun to cover. And, and I think, you know, once again, that's where the, you know, the passion comes out trying to share those stories and uh, hopefully uh, other people find it as interesting as you do. Truly. And then, so you talked about obviously uh, that, that vast and dynamic and then just large uh, pool of, of opportunity. I think you barely you know, touched upon that, but, but for those who are kind of really curious, what opportunity would you say truly exists within the industry given the current landscape? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's interesting in a standpoint that I think there's been kind of a pendulum swing uh, uh, coming the other way from the extreme of where everybody thought maybe a four-year degree, college degree was needed to kind of make it in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, the motivations for that were, uh, you know, you could argue whether they were deceiving or not. Uh, you know, statistics will suggest that most people with those degrees do make on average more than your non-college uh, degree holders. Uh, the issue becomes sure. the amount of money being spent to, you know, get that degree. There it is. I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's where the, uh, you know, that's where society is now is that, you know, you're, you know, the perfect example is uh, my wife just visited uh, her cousin in Ireland and, and the kids in the secondary school system in Ireland have to take a test and it basically puts you on a course. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, prevent you from pursuing whatever you want, but it does make it harder. So if that, if that, that, that testing suggests that you don't, you don't have the mindset or the talent to be a doctor, you're going to be, it's going to be very difficult for you to be, you know, follow into that medical track, uh, in Ireland, you know, maybe you pick up and go to the Caribbean or another country. I'm not sure, but you know, in the U S you don't have that. You never, you, you kind of had that in the fifties, but even then, I think that was, that was more of a logical thing because back then you could enter those industries, uh, manufacturing in particular, and not miss a beat in terms of uh, earning a, a, a really good wage, raising a family. Uh, so, you know, fast forward to the day and, that opportunity still exists, but it's a little bit of a hustle, as with everything is in the cap, you know, capitalist society. You know, for me, I had a journalism degree, making thirteen thousand a year was my first job. Uh, you want to know why? Because there's a lot of journalism majors. Yeah, yeah that's how capitalism works. Uh, so, in, in uh, manufacturing, there's ample opportunity for jobs. You just have to be wise in how you approach it, what you want to do, get that experience, what's the plan. And I think that's put the onus on manufacturers to be a little bit more uh, serious. Uh, 
metal fabricators have uh, taken a step forward, investing in modern technology, automation. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, advanced industry in many instances where it allows them to be competitive with uh, people uh, in Mexico, uh, overseas, in Asia that do have a labor uh, cost advantage. But yet, uh, as the pandemic has proven, sometimes it's better making stuff closer to where you need it than having to uh, take the gamble of supplying it uh, for great distances. So, you know, back in North America, it's just a matter of finding the right fit and deciding what the plan is. And I think this applies to any job, you know. You can get there, start doing that job, and, and before you, you, know, you take a look around, you've been there five to 10 years. And it doesn't mean it's bad, but you know, what opportunities have you uh, passed up along the line? It's, uh, I think what I've seen over the past, you know, 25, 30 years is that, you know, we've put, there's a lot more, uh, uh, whether uh, individuals have had to take control of their own uh, retirement, uh, you know, be more responsible for their own health care, uh, be aware of their, their own uh, vocational development, skills retained, skills uh, uh, developed. It's much more of an individual responsibility, and I think manufacturing holds a lot of opportunity. So, you know, I, you know, I haven't mentioned wages, money, because frankly, I think that's one of the things that is, is kind of uh, challenging for young people. Uh, you know, young people uh, want to maximize the money with their job, the first job, second job. You know, I, I don't begrudge them that at all. But you got to start somewhere, and sometimes that first job may not be. Uh, you know, it may not exactly uh, be what you thought, but, you know, if you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, in terms of you know, wages, if you look at, uh, you know, welders in particular, so the mean, which is the average, you, you add it up uh, from bottom to top, and you, you kind of divide by the, the, the number of entries, that average uh, wage in 2021 is 45000 but if you look up in that same category for supervisors in manufacturing, you jump up to 65. And what's that supervisor going to likely have experience in? Probably welding, probably some type of other uh, uh, activity being done in a metal fabricating manufacturing setting. Uh, and, and when I say opportunity, there are jobs. There's, there's, there's more than ample jobs for people to step into right out of high school. Uh, frankly, even with the GED. Uh, and, you know, what does that mean for those uh, who do it? I mean, particularly in metal fabricating, uh, variety, uh, uh, problem solving, uh, advanced technology, robotics. Uh, you know, there's, and, and frankly, there may be days where you're asked to just grind out some uh, or deburr edges on sheet metal. Frankly, that, you know, I think we all like those days where we can balance like challenge and and uh, customer interaction with just some downtime, <laughs> doing something that allows you to kind of get in the groove and uh, you know kind of turn the world off. So mm -hmm. it, it's a uh, it, it's a fascinating industry uh, that's part art and has called upon people to be more skillful in business over the last ten years. And uh, it, it's just, it's it's frankly a privilege to cover. Uh, and I think uh, exciting opportunity for those that kind of uh, want to be involved with something that's just not sitting behind a desk all day.
And for me, I think that's probably the big message that's lost on a generation of people coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Boy, that was long, them. man. That was a lot of words. No, no. It, it, that I asked questions to have answers, and and the the rest is up to you after that, man. So, which was good to be able to kind of cover that because not only have covered really the importance of metal fabrication for the economy within itself, but also what kind of opportunities or the vast amount of them. And then you helped us cover a couple, like maybe the misconceptions, which is is typically always a thing. I mean, if there's anything to be understood, there's uh, an equal opportunity for it to be misunderstood, right? So so to that point, yes. Uh, But one thing... um, you know, I think we've covered that relatively well, and and I, I would be doing the guest and myself a disservice if we didn't at least talk about your perspective on trade shows. Um, I I, I yeah. really would love to get your insight on what's been happening, what's been trending, not just with you know Fabtech or whatever, uh, just just in general. Dan, what do you think is happening, man? And we're going to open it up to that and pass on the mic, and you fill in the rest, Joe. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, there's a you know big question as to whether you know in-person events would kind of remain as important as they were maybe before the pandemic right so uh we you know fabtechs every year uh every odd year it's in chicago and in the even years it rotates between uh las vegas and atlanta so in 20 uh 2019 at our chicago show uh, at mccormick place we had forty-eight thousand attendees which was an all-time high uh for the trade show uh, it, it's truly a wonder that uh, you know people show up in in, in those large amounts to kind of uh, check out what's happening in the metal fabricating industry. And frankly, the growth of Fabtech kind of I think uh, uh, it kind of grew up with the industry. Uh, metal fabricating I think has grown as you know more people look at sheet metal as being an economic alternative, maybe to relying on machine parts. Uh, you know, they, 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 as the technology made it easier and uh, more efficient to work with sheet metal, that a lot of people became aware of designing for sheet metal. And you're kind of seeing that same type of evolution on the additive manufacturing side. As people kind of learn to figure out what they can do with the technology, that'll only grow in the future. That's a side conversation. Sorry about that. So uh, Chicago 2021, uh, we... Uh, uh, our show in Vegas in 2020 was canceled because the pandemic comes back to Chicago 2021, and we drew roughly about 24,000 attendees. So significantly lower, but yet very much a success from the standpoint that uh, exhibitors uh, absolutely uh, uh, felt it was worth the effort, uh, despite the, the smaller numbers. And, you know, that's a lot attributed to... Uh, People, larger companies, not taking as many people to say a large multinational manufacturer of agricultural equipment used to bring 10 to 15 people. Maybe they only brought two this time. So uh, I think societal uh, pressures in dealing with COVID uh, probably influenced the decreased attendance. Uh, The the industry does have to cope with that. You know, Uh, I think uh, people still have... uh, are very much affected by what's occurred over the last two years and getting them to the point where they feel comfortable, uh, it's going to take some time. So as we head into our trade show for Fabtech in uh, 2022 in Atlanta, uh, I, I think they're hoping for numbers similar as last year. We'll see if we get there. You know, Southeast is a pretty robust area for manufacturing. 
but mm-hmm. it, it's you know, simply just not as populated as our, uh, the Midwest is. So we'll see how it does. In terms of trends in the uh, trade show, I, I think you'll see more people uh, incorporating uh, live feeds from other locations. Mm. Uh, so not, it's one thing to see a machine in action on the show floor, but it's another to see, uh, another to see it in action actually in a fab shop or a showroom that replicates the activity in a fab shop. Uh, and they did that with these uh, live feeds from uh, uh, cameras that are, they kind of take in uh, not only close-up shots, but also widespread, uh, you know, wide, uh, wide shots of lines. Uh, they're actually processing metal. I think uh, you'll see more educational opportunities. I, I, I think that's probably one of the most uh, underestimated aspects of FabTech, the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, as you, as I, I'm going to let the cat out the bag, you'll be AdTech, you know, speaking on industrial marketing, you know, the opportunity to, to learn from people out there uh, doing their thing and who are very good at it, uh, you know, that's worth the price of admission alone. But uh, it's one more reason to attend the trade show. Uh, uh, you'll see a little bit from some of the people that cover the trade show doing more uh, social media, live social media interaction for those maybe that can't attend. I think that's kind of uh, fun for them as they look, as for ourselves, it's just a exercise we're trying to do to expand our community and uh, build brand awareness. Uh, even after 50 years, you know, it's always, uh, you, you, know, you can't stop working. You got to keep at it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing, but in, in terms of the future of in-person events, I, I think they're still here. I, <laughs> I didn't think they would ever be replaced by like virtual trade shows. Mm-hmm. I just thought people would just like eventually just be okay with, you know, uh, virtual meetings with dealers or uh, uh, just going to websites and, and learning about equipment. But when it comes down to it, people still want to see it in action. And I think people really enjoy uh, the camaraderie of the show. I, mean, I think they love yes. hanging out with uh, with each other. It's a uh, it's a people industry, and you can't get past that. Uh, you can't. So uh, you know, it, yeah. So, so we'll see uh, how long it takes to kind of get up to the numbers pre-pandemic. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, people are aware of everything everybody's been through, and they've kind of. Uh, couch their expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think everybody's kind of looking forward to Atlanta as well. Sure, sure. No, I'm, I am definitely looking forward to Atlanta. We're going to talk about some weird marketing trends up at FabTech. So I'm, I'm re- really just excited for the opportunity and to be able to kind of uh, formally have you, uh, announce that here. It's, it's, it's really cool. I'm super excited. And be, being having like my first time being at FabTech ever was in 2019. Like that was my first time. So I'm like, yeah. whoa. So I got to see it. And then going, obviously, 2020 being this out, but going back last year, like in all transparency, like I very much thought, wow, like this is a heck of a comeback. And so obviously you see those right. objective differences in numbers, but from an outsider perspective, attending FabTech at what seems to obviously you said it was your best year, most attended ever to, you know, having yeah. that 
post-pandemic presence, it still seems just as strong. And so I'm kind of actually really excited to see um, what happens in Atlanta this year. But before we get too excited and hyped up, because Lord knows I will, because I'm really pumped to be able to bring <laughs> some value and have a good time at Fabtech. Um, lastly, as we're kind of wrapping up the conversation here, do you have any cool little just just a trend that's happening within the industry that you think is just really cool that you uh, your people aren't talking enough about or people are talking a lot about and there's it's rightfully so? Yeah, yeah, it's all about automation. So, you yeah. know, with the, with, the, with the ample opportunities for people to kind of step in and, and, and uh, set forth on their career in manufacturing, uh, that doesn't mean that people are filling those jobs in record numbers. So, that, you know, there's, there's still openings out there. So to cope with that, you know, people are investing in automation that in a way is going to help them in the future, not only kind of keep up with... Uh, uh, economic opportunities that present themselves in terms of uh, adding more capacity, being able to deliver quality parts, because now you're relying on uh, automated machinery, automated processes that take the human element out of it, which always anytime a human's involved, there's some variability there. But it's kind of automating those rudimentary tasks that frankly, it was always going to be hard, even when there were enough people around to kind of do those jobs. So whether it's uh, material handling, uh, material finishing, uh, part sorting, coming off uh, either a plasma cutting table or a laser cutting table. Uh, even in the front office, when it comes to quoting uh, jobs, where you know a lot of that institutional knowledge is leaving with uh, uh, more experienced workers as they as they retire, and uh, using artificial intelligence to help uh, compose quick and accurate quotes. Uh, in a matter of minutes instead of uh, getting around to it a day and a half later. Uh, as many people that are leaving the metal fabricating industry, just as many are, are leaving the companies where they order, uh, uh, place orders for metal fabricating services. So these people, you know, they don't have all the uh, experience or knowledge about what's involved in cost-effectively ordering, uh, you know, some type of part or assembly made of metal, 2D sheet metal or two. So, uh, you know, being able to rely on uh, uh, computer automation of some sort to kind of capture that and, and, and turn it around into speeding up processes and then going out there on the shop floor and seamlessly having that Part be scheduled to be produced on machinery with as little manual handling involved and getting it out the door as fast as possible. You know, that uh, that's the trend. Uh, people, and my coworker Tim Essen always says, you know, whatever you can do to shorten that production cycle, it's cash in the hands, or not in the hands, literally, but cash in, uh, back to the metal fabricator as soon as possible. More cash on hand makes that uh, shop, no matter the size, uh, uh, more of a candidate to survive a downturn, and they still occur. It will occur. Uh, it's just the way uh, economies are. It'll give them a little bit better opportunity to survive those downturns. So, uh, yeah, it's it's doing more with less and uh, doing it more intelligently. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the above, man, preaching the good word today. Speaking of good word, we have exchanged quite a few of those good words today. So, Dan, for those who are <laughs> those who are looking to get more information on not only yourself, but FMA and all the other great initiatives that you have going on in the world today, where can we get more info, man? Yeah, check out uh, thefabricator.com, T-H-E, fabricator.com. Uh, for FMA, you can check it out at fmamfg.org. Uh, That's uh, fmamanufacturingmfg.org. For Fabtech, fabtechexpo.com. Don't go to fabtech.com. That's some company that was just very, very, very uh, good at grabbing a URL before people really understood the, the power of the Internet. Uh, but Fabtech Expo will give you not only uh, information on the upcoming Atlanta show, but we also uh, have – Fabtech Canada occurring next week in Toronto. So if you're up in Canada, be sure and check that out. We also have Fabtech Mexico, which we just uh, wrapped up in May. So uh, we'll be heading back to Monterey in 2023. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I got to check what time, what year I'm in. Yeah, no, we just have the socials too, where we uh, try to share some of our uh, uh, content out there, Facebook, uh, Instagram, for welding more than anything else because it's kind of a visual medium. LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. Uh, that about, that about, about uh, uh, sums it up. Hoping to get a little bit more uh, video out there on the interwebs and engaging more people that way. But uh, mm -hmm. that's what we got going on now. All kinds of good stuff. And even though Dan is getting interviewed, I know he typically does lots of interviews himself. So it's good to be able to kind of flip the script on him a little bit, you know, and get him get him on the mic a little bit. So, hey, but no, Dan, we really appreciate it. everybody. You now have all the information that you need to whether it's to look up the fabricator, look it up FabTech, look up everything in general. You've got all the plugs. Also, make sure you head on over to FlexMachineTools.com or check out our socials because we are absolutely getting weird. We're even messing around on TikTok. But with that, we thank everybody for watching live, for checking it out, Dan. We especially appreciate you for your time, effort, energy, and expertise. So, hey, big shout out to everybody. This is Flex and Friends powered by Union Trade Gear. You all stay awesome. You stay flexing. And we will surely see you next time. There you go.